So now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hello, people. Hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to today's special edition of Bible News Radio. As you guys know, I am your sweet and lovable host. Yeah, I am. And uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to remember the 41st president of this country, America. Yeah, we are. I don't know about you, but um, this morning I was kind of glued to my TV set. Well, not my TV, my computer, actually. I was on Facebook. Special thanks to CBS News for live streaming the whole service of uh, the late President George H.W. Bush. So I'm going to share some of my thoughts, and then what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and also share with you um, a part of the service. It was quite quite a long service, but we're going to share some highlights that I actually found very touching. And, um, you know, primarily because I know some of you didn't see it. And also, honestly, I think this president deserves, um, yeah, just I think he deserves some honor. First thing I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to share with you an article that my friend Dr. Janice Krauss wrote uh, earlier this week. Janice actually served with George H.W. Bush and was his speechwriter, and she's a friend of mine. And uh, she emailed us this morning, shared with us the article that she wrote, and I emailed her back and I said, I'm going to share this on our show today. She wrote me back. She said, thank you. Her daughter, Dr. Charmaine Yost, actually currently serves right now in the Trump administration. Uh, So this really, truly is real Washington Insider info. So do me a favor, share this out, and uh, let's let's go ahead and remember the president. All right, I'm going to say hi to those of you I can see on Periscope. I see you guys, Melanie, Gina, Jeff. Mia, superhero paramedic, Stephen, and I know that there's going to be other people coming in. And over on Facebook, I see my friend Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Love you, my friend. So we're going to just take a minute, share this out, and uh, do what good patriots do. By the way, the music that's playing is from Michael W. Smith. It's his song, Freedom. Which I kind of thought was fitting for today. Considering he was also somebody who sang today at George W. George H. W. Bush's uh, um, uh, funeral. So. Okay, there we go. I'm just going to turn that down. Alrighty, people. So just out of curiosity, how many of you actually, uh, you know, just by show of putting a one in the chat box, how many of you actually sat and saw the whole service of George H.W. Bush? Um, I think I saw most of it. I actually didn't go to pickleball. I wanted to. I didn't go to pickleball on Monday. 
So, you're, you know, my favorite pastime, I didn't do two days this week uh, on the days that I could do it. Um, but, you know, I, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, I, 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 I struggled with it, to be honest. I, I thought, man, I would like to go and play pickleball because I haven't played all week. But then I thought about it and I thought, no, I really, really think it would be better for me to actually sit here and watch this because it's historic, first of all. Um, that never in the history of our lifetime, to my knowledge, will we ever get to see uh, a former president say goodbye to another former president uh, who was the son of the president. Um, so the Bush legacy, the Bush uh, dynasty, as a lot of people call it, um, is is actually, you know, probably the closest thing in our country as we get to quote royalty, right? You know, we're not like, we're not a monarchy. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people looked at the Kennedy, the Kennedy dynasty as, you know, the Kennedys. And a lot of people look at the, the Bushes as the same way. And I can tell you, um, my, um, my, I was going to say here, <laughs> my viewing of this on Facebook, I tell you what, I have flesh because I really want to smack some of these people on Facebook. The vitriolic hate that came from those people who hate George Bush and Donald Trump, unbelievable to me. I mean, it used to be that when somebody died in this country, especially a president, uh, that, you know, there was an ounce of dignity and, and, and civility with people. But I tell you what, the social media really brings out the, the vultures and the, the mean people. Let's just put it that way. Um, and I just, uh, it, was, it was just really interesting watching the comments. I actually had to go large screen so I couldn't see comments for a while just because it was so immature, you know. And yeah, I have to also say that I saw all the hate from the Trump haters and those who didn't like Bush. But I also saw, interestingly, a lot of people former, from the former... Uh, Soviet Union uh, come in and thank thank uh, God for him uh, because their country, you know, was was freed as a result of the work that he did. And I, frankly, I think that's awesome. There's nothing more that gives me more patriotic pride than than seeing other nation leaders and other people of other countries actually honoring our country. Which, by the way, I think is probably the still the best. Uh, republic on the planet, despite our political differences, you know. Uh, so what I'm going to do first, though, is I'm going to go ahead. I want to read you uh, the article from Dr. Uh, Janice Krauss, who worked for years uh, at uh, Concerned Women for America, but she also uh, wrote, wrote presidential speeches for President Bush 41. In fact, that's the name of her article. And I will tweet this out later uh, so you guys can... Uh, can uh, see it and, and share it out if you'd like. But Dr. Krauss writes, um, sometimes I have a hard time believing that I was a presidential speechwriter for former President George Herbert Walker Bush, affectionately known as Bush 41. The other speechwriters were nationally recognized journalists, while I was a relatively unknown university academic administrator with a PhD in communication theory, rhetoric, and public address. While several of my speeches were in vital speeches of the day, which is a publication, 
I was relatively well-known in academic circles. I was a newcomer in the political world. Yet through amazing circumstances, I had the incomparable privilege of writing for the last World War II president, Bush 41, and working daily with such outstanding writers as Tony Snow, Andrew Ferguson, and Dan McGrorty. Numerous people have written that landing a job in a presidential administration is more often than not a matter of luck rather than some, quote, grand plan, unquote. Most talk about being, quote, at the right place at the right time, unquote. For us, as mid-career professionals without big money backers or the right political connections, it was more a matter of God working miracles. Coming from an academic background, my husband and I arrived in D.C. in the September of 1990 to work in the Bush 41 administration. I landed a job at the Department of Health and Human Services as a speechwriter for Secretary Lewis Sullivan, thus jumping into the deep end of domestic issues. Dr. Sullivan utilized his bully pulpit to the fullest extent possible, often speaking two or three times a day all around the U.S. He kept seven speechwriters busy on a wide variety of pertinent domestic topics. My husband, Gil, ended up in ASPE and the HAS, uh, the HHS Secretary's Internal Think Tank, where he still researches and writes white papers on a wide variety of domestic issues. For five months, October 1991 to March 1992, I wrote speeches and drafted opinion editorials for Secretary Sullivan, especially on those matters important to family well-being. Then in March of then in March, out of the blue, I received a phone call from the White House inquiring about whether I'd be interested in writing for Bush 41. I was told that after Desert Storm, there was a push to strengthen the president's writing staff and somebody had recommended me. That's so cool. Anyway, there, there's no way of, uh, to convey the awe-inspiring experience of actually working in the White House with a pass that enables you to go anywhere in the complex, including the private library on the top floor of the OEOB that can get any publication a speechwriter might need or want. The sense of history and significance of working as a presidential speechwriter are nothing else I have ever done. With Bush 41, it was also a personal privilege it is well known that Bush 41 was the consummate gentleman whose personal notes are treasured by international and national leaders as well as ordinary citizens uh, who somehow earned one of Mr. Bush's handwritten gems. And w we will actually hear about that um, from Vice President Pence in a little bit. A small incident reveals the underlying courtesy and civility pervasive at the Bush White House, indeed in government service in general at the time. I was about to exit from the back door of the West Wing to go over to the OEOB for the first time. As I approached the door, a long line of military men were coming through. I waited as the first several men proceeded through the door. Then Vice President Richard Cheney came to the entrance. He looked up, saw me, stepped back, and said, After you, ma'am. He held the door for me, and the rest of the line of men skipped aside as I left the building. That type of courtesy was common following the example of President Bush. One biographer referred to President Bush 41 as the man with a golden resume. He certainly had the credentials and experience for the presidency and conducted himself with decency and dignity. The passing of his generation is no small matter because an era of American history is also passing. The frailty of their old age gives only slight hints of who the people of that generation known as the greatest generation were and what they did. I'm one of those who knew that generation because my father was a World War II Marine who served in the South Pacific. 
My mother remained home for two years, not knowing if he would return. Patriotism was instilled in that generation of young people. In my father's village, three to four boys from his neighborhood volunteered for military service together, and everyone knew someone who didn't return, or others who returned broken in body or spirit. Now men like my dad and his brothers are gone. Indeed, few of that generation are left. It is fitting to remember them and to honor their service. After President Bush 41, the baton was passed to other generations of leaders coming from a variety of different backgrounds, perspectives, and experiences. The passing of President Bush 41 is not just the passing of a significant American leader who earned the respect of Americans across the political spectrum. It is the passing of a generation who shared experiences and values. It's the end of an era of shared history as we mourn the loss of President Bush 41 We also mourn the passing of an era, to which I would say amen and amen to Dr. Janice Krauss, who is a woman I highly respect, actually. She's she's one of my heroes. I've I've been so honored to have her on the show and uh, talk to her a few times in her career um, as a stateswoman. I, I really I mean. I call her a stateswoman. I don't, she's never served in public office, but she, Randall and I were talking about this earlier today. We were talking about how, how here we are in, in Tennessee and, and I was in California. I actually had the opportunity 15 years ago or so to meet her daughter, Dr. Charmaine Yost, when she was working at the Family Research Council, when we were all bloggers in the beginning, when we were doing our media. And, um, and then I found out who her, her, her mom was, Janice. And, um, and I remember I had a conversation with Janice on Facebook of all things about towels, because uh, <laughs> I had I had put on Facebook that I had I'd bought new towels and I was shocked after 15 years how soft the new ones were. And she actually shared some comments, and then we had some, uh, uh, you know, we had we had some private conversation after that. And then I invited her on our show. She was gracious. She came on it. And, um, and I'm so really thankful that I got that email today so I could share it with you. You know, as I was watching this, um, I can't help but think of my own dad who's 90, you know, he's Korean war vet right behind the world war two veterans. Um, and you know, just, it, it really is the greatest generation that's passing by. And, um, you could see it in, um, in the, in the way that the generation of people that served with him actually honored him. So I don't know how many of you saw what, what, uh, former Senator Bob Dole did, but I think we, we should show that in case you didn't, cause this, this really touched me and, um, and I think you guys should see it in case you didn't. There was no sound, and to those of you who are watching or listening to the podcast, we're airing a video where uh, Senator Dole was um, helped out of his wheelchair and helped to stand up so he could salute the casket. I don't know about you, but that totally chokes me up. (laughs) I mean... 
uh, that's like ripping a ripping my heart out, you know. But the reason it does, and I think the reason why it touches so many people, is because frankly we don't see that type of civility and respect um, today. I don't think we do. The other reason why it chokes me up is because I can see this generation, you know, dying off and getting older and their bodies are failing. And it's just a constant reminder of our own mortality, right? So that's kind of a interesting thing. All right. So the next clip I want to play is, uh, was from yesterday, I believe. And this was president, uh, uh, vice president, uh, Mike Pence, who was giving a eulogy, uh, yesterday when he was um, asked to speak where the president's body um, was lying in state. And I, of course, I think barefaced for... Speaker Ryan, Leader McConnell, Leader Schumer, Leader Pelosi, members of Congress, distinguished guests, but most of all, President George W. Bush, Governor Jeb Bush, Neil, Marvin, Doro, and the entire Bush family. It is deeply humbling to stand before you today at the beginning of a week in our nation's capital when we will commemorate and celebrate the lifetime of service and leadership of the 41st President of the United States, President George Herbert Walker Bush. The Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn and grieve with those who grieve. And today, on behalf of the first family and my family and the American people, we offer our deepest sympathies and respects to your family. And we thank you for sharing this special man with our nation and the world. Today, President Bush becomes the 32nd American to lie in state in the United States Capitol Rotunda. Soon, Americans from every corner of the country and every walk of life will make their way to this rotunda to pay the respects of a grateful nation. Upon the death of Abner, it is written that King David said, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? George Herbert Walker Bush was such a man. While he was known as the quiet man, it was not for lack of nerve or daring. For in all of his 94 years, President Bush never lost his love of adventure and he never failed to answer the call to serve his country. Born into a tradition of public service, George Herbert Walker Bush began his own life of service when he was still in high school. After the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, he wanted to do his part, so he enlisted in the United States Navy on his 18th birthday. On receiving his wings, he became the nation's youngest naval aviator and was sent to the South Pacific where his story almost ended. September 1944, on a bombing raid over Chichijima, his aircraft was hit, his engine caught fire, but he still managed to hit his target before bailing out and being rescued by American 
forces after some four hours at sea. All told, he flew 58 combat missions. And for his bravery under fire, he earned the Distinguished Flying Cross, which would have been enough honor for any American life. But George Herbert Walker Bush was just getting started. After he came home, he staked his claim to a booming post-war America by making a name for himself in the oil business. For four years, he walked these halls as a congressman from Houston. President Nixon took notice of the young Texan and asked him to be our ambassador to the United Nations. He led our party during a tumultuous time for the presidency. And after earning the respect of another president, he did the work of a diplomat as the first United States envoy to China and led the CIA. And then, for eight years, George Herbert Walker Bush served as the 43rd Vice President of the United States. I'm told as he was preparing to become Vice President, he once joked about the job, saying that there was, quote, nothing substantive to do at all. <laughs> but as history records, during those years, he set the standard as a sound counselor and loyal advisor to an outsider who came to Washington, D.C. to shake things up, cut taxes, rebuild the military, and together they did just that. And then, in 1988, he made history again, when George Herbert Walker Bush was elected in a landslide as the 41st President of the United States of America, becoming the first sitting Vice President to win the presidency in more than 150 years of our history. He served during an uncertain time in the world, made momentous by his leadership. President Bush oversaw the fall of the Soviet Union, the crumbling of the Berlin Wall, and under his leadership, America won the Cold War. He took our nation to war to repel aggression in the Persian Gulf, and through his leadership as Commander-in-Chief and the brilliance of our armed forces, the United States won a decisive victory. When President George Herbert Walker Bush left office, he left America and the world more peaceful, prosperous, and secure. President Bush was a great leader who made a great difference in the life of this nation. But he was also just a good man who was devoted to his wife, his family, and his friends. I was lucky enough to meet him in 1988 when he was vice president. And I was a 29-year-old just getting started in politics. Then, as always, I was struck by his approachability. There was a kindness about the man that was evident to everyone who ever met him. All his years in public service were characterized by kindness, modesty, and patriotism. He was so modest, in fact, that he never wrote an autobiography. But he did leave a record of his life in the thousands of letters that he wrote. I'm told that he started writing letters to his parents when he was 18 years old. And over time, his circle of correspondence grew to include family, friends, advisors, 
staff, business associates, former presidents, and just about anyone who would take the trouble to write to him. After a lifetime of writing letters, my son got one just not too long ago. As I told two of his sons this weekend, when our son made his first tailhook landing as a Marine aviator on the USS George Herbert Walker Bush, I took the liberty of writing the ship's namesake to ask for a small favor. I didn't write him as a vice president to a former president. I, uh, I just wrote as a proud dad of a Marine aviator to a former Navy pilot. I asked him to sign a picture of the flight deck that I could give to my son. Now, we were told by the staff that the president had long since ended the practice of signing autographs, and we understood that. But little to my surprise, just in time for my son's winging, there came not only a signed photograph, but, of course, a letter hand-signed as well, August 2018. In that letter, President Bush wrote to my son, in his words, congratulations on receiving your wings of gold. I know how proud you and your family are at this moment. And then in words that assured us that the letter came directly from him, he wrote, quote, though we have not met, I share the pride your father has for you during this momentous occasion. And I wish you many C-A-V-U days ahead. All the best, G. Bush. I would come to learn that that acronym, CAVU for short, is a term Navy pilots have used since World War II. It stands for Sealing and Visibility Unlimited. President Bush described CAVU in his words as the kind of weather we Navy pilots wanted when we were to fly off our carrier in the Pacific. And he once wrote a, a letter to his children saying that CAVU, in his words, describes my own life as it's been over the years and as it is right now. Sealing and visibility unlimited. You know, that may well describe the essence of this man, and it may well have been his vision, the vision he had for his life, for his children, his children's children, and his country. No barriers, no boundaries, no limits. So we mourn with those who mourn and grieve with those who grieve. But we do not grieve like those who have no hope. For President George Herbert Walker Bush had that hope. His face sustained him throughout his life of service, and, and we pray that faith will be a source of comfort for all those who mourn the loss of this good man and great American. President George Herbert Walker Bush loved his family, and he served his country. His example will always inspire 
and his lifetime of service will be enshrined in the hearts of the American people forever. May God bless the memory of George Herbert Walker Bush. May God comfort his family and friends. And may God continue to bless the United States of America. There you go. So that's Vice President Mike Pence, who hopefully will be our next president after Trump. <laughs> I don't know if you guys caught it, but he made a comment about being a vice president and kind of paused because, you know, he uh, he actually is a current vice president. That's like, wait for it, dramatic pause, waiting for everybody to catch on. So Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so here's, here's the other thing. Gosh, you know. I, I'm not going to be able to play everything, but I do want to give you a couple of highlights. First of all, um, we are going to play George Bu George W. Bush's eulogy right after we do. We give a couple of another announcements, but there was a couple other people that spoke. There was former Senator Alan Simpson uh, who who uh, spoke, and he actually talked about his um, uh, relationship with uh, Pres uh, President H. W. Bush's father, Prescott Bush. And that was very touching, actually. He, he teared up as well. Then John Meacham, we're going to go ahead. We will play his eulogy. He's actually a presidential historian and, uh, and George H.W. Bush biographer. So he, he actually opened up the service today. Uh, and I just thought it was really, really good what he had to say. Um, former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney actually also spoke. And that was really super cool because those guys were like best friends, too. And um, he had a lot of nice things to say, uh, which was really super cool. And then also uh, James Baker was mentioned, James Baker III, who was, I believe, the Secretary of State and also one of the best friends of, of, um, of 41. Um, and uh, anyway, he was remembered. Uh, he was mentioned because at the end of um, 41's uh, life, uh, James Baker r rubbed his feet for a half hour. And then, of course, I I would also like to play you the commentary that the Bush's pastor gave. But one thing that I that really stood out to me, unfortunately, I'm not going to have time unless I do it tomorrow. Um, but what really stood out to me about the about this service as a whole was the fact that Jesus Christ was mentioned and exalted, and the hope of eternal life uh, in Him was definitely declared. Uh, it, there was no if ands or buts about it and um you're going to hear some of um some of that faith come out uh in a couple of the other speeches and then of course michael w smith who is um a very popular christian singer actually sang the song friends uh which which if you're as old as me you probably have heard it before um which i thought was really cool because it really fit in with the fact that uh, President Bush's friends were eulogizing him aside from uh, his son, who was not only acting as the president, uh, but also, um, you know, as his son. So, you know, of course, everybody was looking, you know, basically talking about um, some of the media pundits were kind of making comments and, and things about Trump and it just is so it was so tasteless to me some of the commentary i saw but but you know everybody if you're human you can't not think about 
first of all, the the five sitting presidents that were watching this that are still living. You got Carter, uh, you have uh, Clinton, you have Obama, you have George Bush, and then you have, of course, Trump. Um, and, you know, all of them at some point, God forbid, um, anything happened to our nation before any of that happens. But when they die, they are all going to have some type of funeral that the, that the nation and the world's going to see. So I can't even imagine what George W. Bush was feeling or going through. <clears throat> but you got to admire the guy just for that alone. Um, also, his um, granddaughters, uh, Bush's granddaughters, actually spoke, read scripture at the thing, which was really kind of cool. Um and everybody did such a great job. No, nobody, to my knowledge, flubbed up anything. <laughs> and uh, and it was it was just a really great service. So I want to remind you guys, though, that Bible News Radio is listener sponsored. And also we do have a sponsor. And we want to remind you that Ariel Ministries, uh, you know, is our main sponsor. And this month in December, we are offering, uh, they are offering 30% off anything at in, on their website. So if you go to ariel.org and you want to go buy some stuff there you can go and save 30 percent this month you don't even have to put in coupon code so that's super cool i would stock up on your christmas gifts for yourself and others uh there's just a lot of good stuff there also we have a brand new bible study uh from ariel it's the messianic bible study it's called the fall of man if you go over to our website, biblenewsradio.com, you can you can just put in your email there there, and you'll get sent that automatically to your email. You'll be able to check that out. Um, and then we have numerous uh, books and different things on our uh, on our resources page, I believe it is, um, that you can buy. We have uh, the Christian's Biblical Guide for Understanding Israel, uh, as well as um, a book by... Jack Langford called the gospel of the Holocaust in Isaiah 53. Uh, so if, if those interest you, then, you know, go ahead, donate to the show and we'll, I'll get it out. I'm actually the one that will send it to you. I will write you a note and send it to you. <laughs> so I want to thank you for uh, supporting our show with your monthly donations. Those of you who are pillars of our community, I really appreciate it. And then there's two other ways you can get in touch with us. If you want to join my text message list, it's actually the best place to get in touch with me. You can text the term Bible News to 33222. You can join that. I send out a scripture usually in the morning. I do our contests on there for giveaways. And I also uh, alert you to the show and to the weekend show. Before we go on, that way you know when we're coming on. And in the event, if we're running late or something, uh, most days I get it. And sometimes uh, the service shows it, it sends out stuff late to you. But uh, that is the place to connect with me if you want to do that. And I would personally love to do that. So, yeah, let's see. So Gina's saying the coverage on those presidents was awful. They over-scrutinized every move. I know, it was ridiculous. And the comment, the vitriolic commentary on Facebook from people was unbelievable. But the, the part of the reason I wanted to stay tuned for, you know, and watch this is because honestly, it, it's historic. I'm a patriot, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> I'm very emotional. I actually cried through so much of this service. It was ridiculous how much I cried. Uh, but George W. Bush, who I would have to honestly say is my favorite president in modern history, um, actually got up 
after numerous people spoke and he, he gave, uh, you know, his message. So we're going to go ahead and watch that now. So. Of course, we're using C-SPAN footage. We go to c-span.org. Distinguished guests, including our presidents and first ladies, government officials, foreign dignitaries, and friends. Jeb, Neil, Marvin, Darrow, and I, and our families, thank you all for being here. I once heard it said of man that the idea is to die young as late as possible. <laughs> At age 85, a favorite pastime of George H.W. Bush was firing up his boat, the Fidelity, and opening up the three 300-horsepower engines to fly, joyfully fly, across the Atlantic with the Secret Service boats straining to keep up. At age 90, George H.W. Bush parachuted out of an aircraft and landed on the grounds of St. Anne's by the Sea in Kennebunkport, Maine, the church where his mom was married and where he worshiped often. Mother liked to say he chose a location just in case the chute didn't open. <laughs> in his 90s, he took great delight when his closest pal, James A. Baker, smuggled a bottle of Grey Goose vodka into his hospital room. Apparently, it paired well with the steak Baker had delivered from Morton's. <laughs> to his very last days, Dad's life was instructive. As he aged, he taught us how to grow with dignity, humor, and kindness. And when the good Lord finally called, how to meet him with courage and with the joy of the promise of what lies ahead. One reason Dad knew how to die young is that he almost did it, twice. When he was a teenager, a staph infection nearly took his life. A few years later, he was alone in the Pacific on a life raft, praying that his rescuers would find him before the enemy did. God answered those prayers. It turned out he had other plans for George H.W. Bush. For Dad's part, I think those brushes with death made him cherish the gift of life, and he vowed to live every day to the fullest. Dad was always busy, a man in constant motion, but never too busy to share his love of life with those around him. He taught us to love the outdoors, he loved watching dogs flush a covey. He loved landing the elusive striper. And once confined to a wheelchair, he seemed happiest sitting in his favorite perch on the back porch at Walker's Point, contemplating the majesty of the Atlantic. The horizons he saw were bright and hopeful. He was a genuinely optimistic man. And that optimism guided his children and made each of us believe 
that anything was possible. He continually broadened his horizons with daring decisions. He was a patriot. After high school, he put college on hold and became a Navy fighter pilot as World War II broke out. Like many of his generation, he never talked about his service until his time as a public figure forced his hand. We learned of the attack on Chichijima, the mission completed, the shootdown. We learned of the death of his crewmates, whom he thought about throughout his entire life. And we learned of the rescue. And then another audacious decision. He moved his young family from the comforts of the East Coast to Odessa, Texas. He and mom adjusted to their arid surroundings quickly. He was a tolerant man. After all, he was kind and neighborly to the women with whom he, mom, and I shared a bathroom in our small duplex. Even after he learned their profession, ladies of the night. <laughs> Dad could relate to people from all walks of life. He was an empathetic man. He valued character over pedigree, and he was no cynic. He looked for the good in each person, and he usually found it. Dad taught us that public service is noble and necessary, that one can serve with integrity and hold true to the important values like faith and family. He strongly believed that it was important to give back to the community and country in which one lived. He recognized that serving others enriched the giver's soul. To us, his was the brightest of a thousand points of light. In victory, he shared credit. When he lost, he shouldered the blame. He accepted that failure is a part of living a full life, but taught us never to be defined by failure. He showed us how setbacks can strengthen. None of his disappointments could compare with one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a young child. Jeb and I were too young to remember the pain and agony he and mom felt when our three-year-old sister died. We only learned later that dad, a man of quiet faith, prayed for her daily. He was sustained by the love of the Almighty and the real and enduring love of her mom. Dad always believed that one day he would hug his precious Robin again. He loved to laugh especially at himself. He could tease and needle, but never out of malice. He placed great value on a good joke. So I chose Simpson to speak. <laughs> on email, he had a circle of friends with whom he shared or received the latest jokes. His grading system for the quality of the joke was classic George Bush. The rare sevens and eights were considered huge winners, most of them off color. George Bush knew how to be a true and loyal friend. He nurtured and honored many, his many friendships with a generous and giving soul. There exist thousands of handwritten notes encouraging or sympathizing or thanking his friends and acquaintances. He had an enormous capacity to give of himself. 
Many a person would tell you that dad became a mentor and a father figure in their life. He listened and he consoled. He was their friend. I think of Don Rhodes, Taylor Blanton, Jim Nance, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and perhaps the unlikeliest of all, the man who defeated him, Bill Clinton. My siblings and I refer to the guys in this group as brothers from other mothers. <laughs> he taught us that a day was not meant to be wasted. He played golf at a legendary pace. I always wonder why he insisted on speed golf. He was a good golfer. Well, here's my conclusion. He played fast so that he could move on to the next event, to enjoy the rest of the day, to expend his enormous energy, to live it all. He was born with just two settings, full throttle, then sleep. <laughs> he taught us what it means to be a wonderful father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. He was firm in his principles and supportive as we began to seek our own ways. He encouraged and comforted, but never steered. We tested his patience. I know I did. <laughs> but he always responded with the great gift of unconditional love. Last Friday, when I was told he had minutes to live, I called him. The guy answered the phone, said he, I think he can hear you, but he hadn't said anything for most of the day. I said, Dad, I love you, and you've been a wonderful father. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, I love you too. To us, he was close to perfect, but not totally perfect. His short game was lousy. <laughs> He wasn't exactly Fred Astaire on the dance floor. The man couldn't stomach vegetables, especially broccoli. And by the way, he passed these genetic defects along to us. Finally, every day of his 73 years of marriage, Dad taught us all what it means to be a great husband. He married his sweetheart. He adored her. He laughed and cried with her. He was dedicated to her totally. In his old age, Dad enjoyed watching police show reruns, the volume on high, <laughs> all the while holding Mom's hand. After Mom died, Dad was strong, but all he really wanted to do was hold Mom's hand again. Of course, Dad taught me another special lesson. He showed me what it means to be a president who serves with integrity, leads with courage, and acts with love in his heart for the citizens of our country. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmasked skill, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st President of the United States said this, We cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. 
What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us? Or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship? Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding Mom's hand again. Can't hear me. Okay. Yeah, I was just saying that's a killer right there, man. That's like, ugh, rip my heart out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's good. It's good that we, we grieve, right? Because, well, duh, that's part of life. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I think it's good. I think it's good that the country actually acknowledges that when somebody dies who is really loved, that you should grieve. And I did. I thought that was a great speech too, Gina. Um, I was just thinking um, the thing about about him that um, you know that still stands out to me is that he had such a, a great marriage. And um, seventy three years he was married to Barbara. I mean, can you imagine? You know, in the last seven eight months of his life, he was with that. He was at, without her. I can't imagine. I've known Randall almost 30 years, and I can't imagine a day without him. So I can't even imagine after 73 years. Uh, one of the things, though, that has been alluded to as well is that um, uh, President uh, Bush, 41, who we're honoring, uh, actually, when his daughter died a short time after that, he was overseas, I think it was, and uh, he he actually had a child that he shaved his head for uh who had the same d type of disease that his daughter died of and um anyway um it just kind of you know it the human side of a of a public figure is amazing and uh i think it's great so um it, so here's what we're going to do we're going to go ahead we're going to play uh presidential historian john meacham's message and right after it we're going to end uh, so those of you who, um, uh, you know, who didn't get to see, uh, all of this, um, you can go to cspan.org. They have the whole thing over there. Uh, in fact, there's so much more I want to play because there's so much good stuff. I honestly think this was the best funeral I've ever watched. Uh, but, uh, but this speech from John Meacham, who is the historian for George H.W. Bush, um, actually started out the the whole service today and I thought it would be good to end it uh, with it because you know it kind of gives you an idea of who uh, Bush 41 was and uh, you know and the thing that that we can rejoice in is that God is just uh, Christ was exalted throughout this by the way and I should say that um, 
that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he had that confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus was lifted up during this, this ceremony that the whole world got to watch. And so my, my hope and my prayer is that people who don't know the Lord, maybe they'll think about Christ as a result of this. Um, so we'll go ahead and end it by um, showing you John Meacham's tribute to him as well. The story was almost over, even before it had fully begun. Shortly after dawn on Saturday, September 2nd, 1944, Lieutenant Junior Gray George Herbert Walker Bush, joined by two crewmates, took off from the USS San Jacinto to attack a radio tower on Chichijima. As they approached the target, the air was heavy with flak. The plane was hit. Smoke filled the cockpit. Flames raced across the wings. My God, Lieutenant Bush thought, this thing's gonna go down. Yet he kept the plane in its 35-degree dive, dropped his bombs, and then roared off out to sea, telling his crewmates to hit the silk. Following protocol, Lieutenant Bush turned the plane so they could bail out. Only then did Bush parachute from the cockpit. The wind propelled him backward, and he gashed his head on the tail of the plane as he flew through the sky. He plunged deep into the ocean, bobbed to the surface, and flopped onto a tiny raft. His head bleeding, his eyes burning, his mouth and throat raw from salt water. The future 41st President of the United States was alone. Sensing that his men had not made it, he was overcome. He felt the weight of responsibility as a nearly physical burden, and he wept. Then, at four minutes shy of noon, a submarine emerged to rescue the downed pilot. George Herbert Walker Bush was safe. The story, his story and ours, would go on by God's grace. Through the ensuing decades, President Bush would frequently ask, nearly daily, he'd ask himself, why me? Why was I spared? And in a sense, the rest of his life was a perennial effort to prove himself worthy of his salvation on that distant morning. To him, his life was no longer his own. There were always more missions to undertake more lives to touch, and more love to give. And what a headlong race he made of it all. He never slowed down. On the primary campaign trail in New Hampshire once, he grabbed the hand of a department store mannequin asking for votes. When he realized his mistake, he said, never know, gotta ask. 
You can hear the voice, can't you? As Dana Carvey said, the key to a Bush 41 impersonation is Mr. Rogers trying to be John Wayne. George Herbert Walker Bush was America's last great soldier statesman, a 20th century founding father. He governed with virtues that most closely resemble those of Washington and of Adams, of TR and of FDR, of Truman and of Eisenhower, of men who believed in causes larger than themselves. Six foot two, handsome, dominant in person, President Bush spoke with those big, strong hands, making fists to underscore points. A master of what Franklin Roosevelt called the science of human relationships, he believed that to whom much was given, much is expected. And because life gave him so much, he gave back again and again and again. He stood in the breach in the Cold War against totalitarianism. He stood in the breach in Washington against unthinking partisanship. He stood in the breach against tyranny and discrimination. And on his watch, a wall fell in Berlin. A dictator's aggression did not stand. And doors across America opened to those with disabilities. And in his personal life, he stood in the breach against heartbreak and hurt, always offering an outstretched hand, a warm word, a sympathetic tear. If you were down, he would rush to lift you up. And if you were soaring, he would rush to savor your success. Strong and gracious, comforting and charming, loving and loyal, he was our shield in danger's hour. Now, of course, there was ambition, too, loads of that. To serve, he had to succeed. To preside, he had to prevail. Politics, he once admitted, isn't a pure undertaking. Not if you want to win, it's not. An imperfect man, he left us a more perfect union. It must be said that for a keenly intelligent statesman of stirring, almost unparalleled private eloquence, Public speaking was not exactly a strong suit. Fluency in English, President Bush once remarked, is something that I'm often not accused of. <laughs> Looking ahead to the 88 election, he observed, inarguably, it's no exaggeration to say that the undecideds could go one way or the other. And late in his presidency, he allowed that we're enjoying sluggish times, but we're not enjoying them very much. 
His tongue may have run amok at moments, but his heart was steadfast. His life code, as he said, was tell the truth, don't blame people, be strong, do your best, try hard, forgive, stay the course. And that was and is the most American of creeds. Abraham Lincoln's Better Angels of Our Nature and George H.W. Bush's Thousand Points of Light are companion verses in America's national hymn. For Lincoln and Bush both called on us to choose the right over the convenient, to hope rather than to fear, and to heed not our worst impulses, but our best instincts. In this work, he had the most wonderful of allies in Barbara Pierce Bush, his wife of 73 years. He called her Bar, the Silver Fox, and, when the situation warranted, the Enforcer. He was the only boy she ever kissed. Her children, Mrs. Bush liked to say, always wanted to throw up when they heard that. In a letter to Barbara during the war, young George H.W. Bush had written, I love you, precious, with all my heart, and to know that you love me means my life. How lucky our children will be to have a mother like you. And as they will tell you, they surely were. As Vice President, Bush once visited a children's leukemia ward in Krakow. Thirty-five years before, he and Barbara had lost a daughter, Robin, to the disease. In Krakow, a small boy wanted to greet the American Vice President. Learning that the child was sick with the cancer that had taken Robin, Bush began to cry. To his diary later that day, the Vice President said this, My eyes flooded with tears, and behind me was a bank of television cameras, and I thought, I can't turn around. I can't dissolve because of personal tragedy in the face of the nurses that give of themselves every day. So I stood there looking at this little guy, tears running down my cheek, hoping he wouldn't see. But if he did, hoping he'd feel that I loved him. That was the real George H.W. Bush, a loving man with a big, vibrant, all-enveloping heart. And so we ask, as we commend his soul to God, and as he did, why him? Why was he spared? The workings of providence are mysterious, but this much is clear. The George Herbert Walker Bush, who survived that fiery fall into the waters of the Pacific three-quarters of a century ago, made our lives and the lives of nations freer, better, 
warmer, and nobler. That was his mission. That was his heartbeat. And if we listen closely enough, we can hear that heartbeat even now, for it's the heartbeat of a lion, a lion who not only led us, but who loved us. That's why him, that's why he was spared. <laughs>